Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your RV lifestyle digital home. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile RV studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, dear listeners. This is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And we're talking to you from our at-home studio. Because the fairly we, chilly at-home studio. Because we have finally returned to our home base. And you know, now that we're here and we have a little more of our technology at hand, I'm wishing that somebody had called us and left us a message on our contact line. And maybe they haven't been doing that because we forget our own phone number. <laughs> As you've noticed from past so episodes. So let me st- say at the top of the program that our contact phone number is eight. 815-230-0772. And that's a listener contact line where you'll be asked to leave a message. We do appreciate you uh, leaving us messages, and we like to hear from you. And this month has been a, a banner month for listener response, and we have uh, lots of exciting things on this episode. And depending on what kind of a message you leave us, we might play some of your message on air or at least talk about you. Uh, of course, the email is at uh, navigator at rvnavigator.com. And please visit our website, which is www.rvnavigator.com. Ooh, we've got it all taken care of. Now, speaking of things that people have <laughs> sent us... Um, we, we got a new RV song, I guess. Yes, is, well, is, a, a couple of months ago, I think we asked, uh, well, I was trying to find a Christmas, oh, that's what it was, I was trying to find a Christmas RV song. RV Christmas song, right. yes. And uh, since then, we've had uh, one sent to us, and not a Christmas song, but an RV song, and then this month, Richard sent us a, a Roy Bookbinder song, and it's called, Gotta Get Myself a Motor Home. Should we listen to it? You betcha. Lately I've been getting this urge to roam I'm gonna go out and get myself a motor home I say goodbye to the Pinnacle Club and my job at Sears Heck with all security Because the one thing that I can clearly see The life I'm leading is far worse than my fears Well, we gonna live like Charles Perot And just stay on the road till we've seen it all And every time we stop, why, we'll be home I never take you nowhere Name it darling and we'll go there I'll take you every place and stay at home Well traveling with you could be like heaven While we could even make love In the parking lot of any 7-Eleven Maybe just you and me Go where we want to be Let's sell a house Let the good times roll Driving, I'll pick guitar, and if I keep on singing, I might be a star. Got a long way to travel, but honey, that ain't too far. Working Paris, Texas, and Georgia's Rome won't be bad, cause I'll be right at home. And this traveling life, it sure agrees with me. to me because I just drank beer and I watched TV and on Sunday started dreading Monday and my week at work 
watching all them game shows on TV. I was scared that it might happen to me, that I might wake up one day and be a jerk. Well, traveling with you could be like heaven. Why, we could even make love in the parking lot of any 7-Eleven. Said, baby, just you and me. Go just where we want to be. Let's sell a house and let the good times sell a house and let the good times roll. So, if you want to have make love in the parking lot of the Seven <laughs> Eleven, you can get in your motorhome. <laughs> oh yes, that sounds like a lot of fun. <coughs> but uh, as far as uh, our trips go, we have uh, arrived home from Australia, and we brought a bug with us. So, if you hear me coughing in the background, I'm still not recovered from that souvenir from Australia that I didn't want to bring. Nothing home. like flying and coughing and sneezing. And now that we have this. Uh, swine flu going around. We're wondering if we picked up that someplace. I think it was a kangaroo flu. Kangaroo flu, yes. Well, we would bring nothing back from Australia. We had a great time. Uh, The flights were good on the way home, and uh, it's just a very long time. And it's tough to readjust to the time zone. I read somewhere that your body can only handle two time zones a day tops. And since we came about ten time zones, it really took us about a week before our brains arrived. One nice thing about being home now is that we can Spend good old greenbacks, yes, and indeed. we can get the UPS man to visit our house Ooh, every day. We've been waiting. And one of the first things that we did is we went out and bought a brand new data card from Sprint. And if you're like me, you're probably saying to yourself, why do they need a data card? They already have a data card. So please explain to our listeners why we needed a new data card. I have card. to justify this purchase, huh? Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Well, <coughs> the data card that we had before only did 3G. And now the data cards are 4G. We went to the Sprint store, which is one of our cell phone services here in the United States. We talked to them, and they said, well, if you want, uh, after two years of your old data card, if you want to get a new one, it's free, and we will allow you to use the new 4G. And 4G is called WiMAX. And WiMAX is a dramatically faster service for the same price. With our 3G card, we got about... One about one megabytes service, which is not bad, but with the 4G service, which is currently in Baltimore and Reno, Nevada, but being rolled out to ten more cities, including Chicago, this summer, we expect to get a dramatically faster service in the three to four megabyte range. So, for the same price, we can have a new data card. Now, the new data card is good because. It is a very small form factor. Uh, it is a USB card so that it works in any laptop. And if you uh, just, you can plug it into the laptop and it just sticks out uh, like kind of like a pen drive or a flash memory card drive. Now, our old one we had plugged into a router. Can we also put it in the router? Yes, but uh, I don't think we need to do that because uh, this is so nice and small. And the, uh, the Macs that we have will distribute the signal that we receive via the cell phone over Wi-Fi. So Wi-Fi is just a distribution. It's not actually a connection to the Internet. So our connection to the Internet is going to be through the cell phone, uh, in addition to the satellite that we have on the roof. But it will then be distributed uh, to other computers that may want to use it, like Martha's, via Wi-Fi. 
And so any one of our Macs will do that. Now, I know with our satellite dish on our question. RV, we are always uh, limited by how much data we can download. And because we are yeah. avid podcast listeners ourselves, we're always stepping on each other's toes in that regard. Now, will the Sprint card limit us as well? Yes, and it is the same limitation that we've had before, and that's uh, 5 gigabytes a month, which is a reasonable amount. Uh, when we talk to our friends in Australia, they seem to think the 5 gigabytes was a huge amount of data. But from our perspective, it's a reasonable amount of data, but not it's something we can use to watch movies and things. And by the way, we have uh, our we've been appreciating our high speed network at home, and we have been using Hulu because we missed so much TV while we were gone that uh, we're trying to catch up with some of the episodes of uh, shows. Uh, if you're interested in viewing uh, the major channels besides uh, CBS, you can use Hulu H U L U, and we've been very impressed with the quality of the picture when you put it on your tv set and blow it up to full screen it looks just like you're watching over the air tv which is quite impressive for a data connection we would like to be able to use hulu with this data card but probably the data rate is not fast enough and uh, five gigabytes won't last you very long would it be like a half hour show I have a hard time relating to gigabytes. I would say a gigabyte per hour. Okay. In round numbers. So that that really it would not be feasible. Not good use of our resources. Not very good. <laughs> not, not at all. But for those of you who are on the fence about data cards and uh, how to get high-speed Internet in your RV, you might take a, a, a walk over to your local Sprint store. They gave us the first-month data service for free. That's $60. They gave us the card, which is usually 150 or so. That was free. I'm, the USB data card was free. So basically for a two-year contract, we get $60 a month worth of data service. The other thing that impressed me is for times when we are definitely not going to be using our Sprint data yes, card, yes, like when point. we're overseas, yes. they allow you to put it on vacation hold. And of course, the months you are not using it get tacked on to the, end of the two contract, years right. that you still owe them. But I like not having to pay for service that I'm obviously not going to use because I'm not here. So that was heartwarming as well. So I, I think this is indicative of the competition among cell phone providers um, be, to get your your business and data service is certainly one that is uh, very popular these days. With the iPhone, um, you have to get a data service, and virtually everybody's getting some sort of data service with their cell phone. And you may as well get the data card to plug into your computer. And of course, it's Mac and Windows, and and it works um, pretty well. I think it's been our experience anyway, and I expect this card will work even better. I want to talk some more about shopping. When we were in um, Fremantle on the west coast of Australia, we were wandering around in a shopping area, and we came (laughs) upon a little store that was selling bikes that fold in half. And we have always thought we would like to have bikes that fold in half to put in our RV or in our toad, because up until now, we've been carrying our bikes on the back, and they are so vulnerable to all the weather that you go through and the road dust, and it just has not had a very beneficial effect on our bikes. And we love to bike, and we like to take them every time we go with our RV. But the portable bikes we've seen before, I would characterize as clown bikes with tiny little wheels and and big, tall handlebars. 
and you couldn't and you could see that yourself riding around a campground, but not going on a serious bike ride. Well, they talk about them as being serious bikes. Well, but they don't look serious. They don't to look me. serious, right? So anyway, in this store in Fremantle, they were selling what looked like a regular twenty-six inch bike that folded in half, and the man was putting it in a little carrying case that a went over his case. shoulder. And we thought, wow, what a good idea that would be. Yes. Now this particular store uh, sold Dahons, D-A-H-O-N, but of course Ken being Ken came home and surfed around on the computer and looked at every <laughs> foldable bike in the universe and we ended up buying Swiss bikes instead. That, that's the brand name. We found them on the web and I was a little leery about buying it on the web but they had a 30-day money-back guarantee so we decided to go ahead and buy them. Actually they're quite nice bikes um, and when they're put together you couldn't hardly tell it from a regular uh, bike, the bikes that we've been having. But the good thing is, is that they fit in the back of our toad so that we can just drop them into the hatch in the back and without any real hassle and they will be out of the weather and out of view of other people and so we're hoping that these bikes will stay in good shape for a little bit longer. And even for a mechanically inept person such as myself, it looks like a very easy bike to manage because you have like a quick release lock for the front tire and then a screw that you um, undo to be able to bend the bike in half and that's really all that you have to do. What kind of lots the same sort of quick uh, unlock for the front like for the front tire right so this requires no tools and the swiss bike is nice because it also uses standard bike components so that the rims and the tires and all that all the gears are all uh, standard equipment so that should you need to have it repaired it's you can go to any old bike store and get uh, parts for it they're also 21 speed which is good, and they are not mountain bikes. They are... Uh, geezer bikes. Well, yeah, semi-geezer bikes. But we're hoping to get good service out of these guys. Uh, our old bikes, uh, even though they're not as old as some bikes, they look it because they've gone through so much weather as they sit on the back of uh, our toad when we when we are traveling down the road, and they're, they get dust and crud and corruption and snow and salt and (laughs) whatever else we are driving through gets uh, thoroughly ingested into the bike and they are showing their uh, that they've been abused abuse yeah so and we really like to ride bikes and i assume that lots of our our listeners do also we always take our bikes and we enjoy the experience now the swiss bike cycle also sells um, carrying cases for the bikes. They were $100 a piece, so Cloth. I'm planning on cranking up the old sewing machine to see if I can come up with something <laughs> adequate we'll for pictures. our needs. Uh, we'll see how I do. I used to be an avid seamstress, but I'm kind of out of practice, and I like having a pattern so I know how big to make things, so we'll see how I do with pins and a lot of swearing. Oh, well, I have to put up with that? Oh. No, I would suggest you leave the house while I'm doing this. <laughs> see. Okay. Now, so one of the first how, how about thing, putting together your bike? Do I have to put? Well, I, I think I, I think I can manage. It took that them only now. three or four days to get here. We were very impressed with the service, and uh, I should mention that the the fold up bikes run in the four hundred to twelve hundred dollar range. Um, ours is kind of in the middle of that. That's a fairly reasonable price for a bike these days, uh, especially one that folds in half. Especially one we can keep nice and keep for a long time. Right, and they only weigh about thirty pounds, and so these bikes have. Uh, uh, quality components to them. They're aluminum uh, frames and the Shimino gear shift. It's The shifting is on the handlebar rather than levers for geezers. 
we are looking forward to having these bikes. Now, of course, we were barely home when yeah. our thoughts were already turning to our next trip. Yes. And one of the first things Heading you need west. to do when you go on a trip is start your <laughs> engines. So Ken handed out to our uh, local parking lot where we keep our motorhome and turned the key and heard Dead absolutely old. nothing. And I'm a big guy about keeping your batteries up to up to snuff and keeping, you know, I, I, last month I think I gave you some battery tips and... Uh, so it is somewhat embarrassing, but it also is somewhat of a hassle when the batteries are completely dead on the on the chassis side of the RV. And, of course, where we store our motorhome, there's, there's nowhere no to power. plug anything in or charge anything up. And it must have been a really nasty winter while mm-hmm. we were gone. Yes. This is about the longest time we've left our RV sit unattended, uh, about six months. Apparently, the batteries just plain died, I would guess. Of course, the solar panel that we have on the top charges the house batteries and keeps them up to snuff and they were in good shape but the chassis batteries were dead and although i have a little switch that connects the two together (laughs) the solenoid wouldn't operate because the batteries were dead (laughs) we replaced the two big 12 volt batteries that uh the diesel needs to get itself going and to to keep it running so that was a 250 fifty dollar operation another little purchase another little purchase that was unexpected but the good thing was is that this commons engine really is is a, a nice machine because I put the new batteries in clicked on the ignition and it started right up so from that aspect I guess this was about the the minimal problem that I could have. And everything else appeared to work. We took out the antifreeze and put water in and we didn't have any untoward leaks in places as we have had with our old trailer. So I think all that's left for us to do is pack it up and head on out. We hope so. We haven't checked out everything, but uh, (laughs) certainly most things seem to be in good shape. It looked good on the inside. No bugs running around in it and and things like that. Uh, The tire pressure indicators indicated that the tires were up to snuff, so that's that's good news, too. What about uh, some things that are going on in the RV world around here? We find that there's a new company, a new RV manufacturer. Can you believe that? In Elkhart, Indiana. Maybe the bottom has uh, come and we're on the way up. But this guy is uh, producing green RVs. It's called Evergreen RV. I wonder if he's getting any tax subsidies for the greenness. Uh, Could well be. One of the things they're doing, it's all composite materials. No wood in their travel trailers. Ours doesn't have wood, but most travel trailers do. Even in the cabinets and stuff? Oh, I don't know about the cabinets, but I'm talking about in the construction. Uh Probably not in the cabinets either. Um, But they are a little bit more expensive, but they are very light, and they are uh, designed with uh, green RVing in mind. And I think that's going to be the catchphrase for the next few years, green RVing. Everybody seems to be talking about it. So we'll put a link there in case you're interested in looking at a new company that's making new travel trailers for the RV industry. And we certainly wish them well because we've heard nothing about sad news about Elkhart. And our hearts really go out to that town that has never managed to diversify from being a one-industry town. They are really hurting. One of the things that I wanted to kind of um, talk about is the capability to connect up your flat, your new, probably, flat panel TV to your computer. The new flat panel TVs have um, VGA connections on the back. And I don't know whether you've thought about this or not. But the VGA connector allows you to easily connect it to your laptop. And if you're disappointed in the very small screen that your laptop has, or you'd like to make it bigger, it's easy 
to buy a VGA cable that connects up to your TV set. And we've been doing this for quite a while. As a matter of fact, we have one per, uh, a computer permanently connected up to our our TV in the living room. But that's because we're fanatics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it acts as a media server and distributes our DVDs. But the nice thing is is that uh, you can do the same thing with your laptop. And as a matter of fact, then you can use your laptop as a DVD player. And if you have uh, Blu-ray in your laptop, you can also use it as a Blu-ray player. And uh, the quality of the screens on these new flat panel TVs is actually as good as uh, any computer monitor. You can use it for doing Photoshop and all sorts of other things because the the quality is there. And frequently, it'll have more screen real estate than your regular uh, monitor. Certainly, in our case, it it does. And it has many other uses. Then you can, if you plug in the sound, you can play your iTunes through it and and, uh, play music through it and and use your TV in, in multiple different ways. And the actual hookup is quite easy. I found that most of the flat panel LCD TVs, and of course because the new uh, requirements are coming up here, that we're going to we, we are going to digital TV someday, and which means that many people have put these flat panels in. You may not be familiar with the fact that that you can hook it up to your computer also. So you could you could put up your uh, streets and trips up there on the screen, make out your routes and that sort of stuff. And for tired old eyes, having it on a nice big 32-inch or 40-inch monitor could really be a plus. You remember that we interviewed um, a new friend in, in Australia last year, Al, and his wife Susan. Last podcast. Oh, oh yeah, yes, last podcast, and we were very happy to uh, to meet them and and I, we told you their story. And Al gave you so many interesting reference materials, <laughs> magazines, and DVDs. Right. Uh, you've been down here for hours enjoying all the information <laughs> that he gave you. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Australians have many of the same concerns we do. <laughs> and these videos that he gave me are are travel videos, but they also include. Um, because they're from the RV club from Australia, they include uh, tips on RVing. And so I have extracted some of the tips. (laughs) And so if you want to go to our website this month, we have one about lubricating your leaf springs. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting, but I do recall how important leaf springs are from the two times when ours broke. And I think if I had watched this video before uh, those broke, they probably wouldn't have broke because I would have done the proper lubrication. So it was your fault. No, not really, but I think I don't think they should. Okay, it was my fault. That was a traumatic experience because when that leaf spring breaks, you ain't going anywhere. Anyway, you might want to take a look at this video because he talks about uh, the bushings, oh, which he calls the bushes, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, the, it, it's it's a, a fun video to look at, and you might actually learn something. And uh, I want to thank Al for providing us with those, and there might be some, some further episodes in this uh, Tech Topics uh, in the future as I watch more of the videos. And certainly provided you with a lot of entertainment. <laughs> Yes, indeed. I like to watch things like that, and I read their magazines, and and Al was very nice about uh, providing me with lots of good stuff to keep me uh, busy for hours. Uh, We're going to talk about a website, the Boomer RV website, a brand-new website that's focused right at us. Every seven seconds, another baby boomer boomer turns 50. What a pain in the neck we are. That's more than 11,000 folks turning 50 each and every day. 
These boomers are creating a tremendous surge in RV purchases. Hmm. I think that's a bit of an <laughs> exaggeration. <laughs> they would like to say that. I, I there think, certainly are many people our age who would like to do what we are doing. Yes. Even in a down economy, both the new and pre-owned markets are ripe with great deals. It does seem like you should be able to get a lot of good deals on RVs right now, used ones, as long as you can find the cash to finance them. Indeed. You might want to take a look at the that's Boomer RV. The word Boomer and the word RVer. So there are two R's there in the middle of it. Dot com. The next thing, kind of going along with the spring uh, video, what are you going to lubricate it with? Everybody's favorite. WD-40. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm proud to tell you that there is a WD-40 fan website. (laughs) And you can join the WD-40 website. Have you? Yes, of course. What does that do for you? It gets me uh, uses, benefits, tips, and freebies every month. I get coupons. For for free (laughs) WD-40. How much of you? Maybe I could start cooking with that or something. I wonder if our Australian friends know about WD-40. Anyway, it's kind of a general purpose lubricant and penetrating oil and it is used for all sorts of great things and they now have a new can that has a nozzle that won't come off how exciting (laughs) the wd-40 website anyway uh, as an rver we always have a can of wd-40 hidden in the toolbox and so this will give you more fun things to uh, use your wd-40 as you Use the WD-40 fan website on a regular basis. Does it help with creaky knees? It, it would help with anything. WD-40 Well, then is maybe I'll the give it answer. a try. Okay. Uh, and so that kind of does it for the, uh, the news and information. But uh, stay tuned because we have a fabulous interview. We not only met uh, Al and his wife, Sue... But at the beginning, at of, the our beginning of our visit to Sydney, exactly. but after the cruise was over, we met some other listeners from Australia. Who drove hundreds of miles to come and see us. And then go on to where they were really going. Oh, I see. <laughs> but we sure did appreciate that they sought us out, and they too kindly agreed to share some of their insights and ob- observations about camping in Australia with us, and we would like to share them with you. So this is Catherine and Andrew. We actually had an interesting Skype conversation with them. Uh, more recently since we arrived home. It's exciting to use Skype, S-K-Y-P-E. That's free software that allows you to talk computer to computer uh, to anybody in the world. For free. For free. We did a video conference with them, and it was 9 in the morning for uh, for them and uh, 6 o'clock in the evening for us. But we had a very nice conversation, um, kind of catching up on, on things that they were doing. And we may actually put some of these on the website if we can get uh, some of our Australian friends to contact us regularly. We may have correspondence on the other side of the world. But to introduce you to Catherine and Andrew, we did this interview. Um, they are avid RVers. They are listeners to the RV Navigator podcast, and we are very happy to have them join us for a, a night of fun making a podcast interview. So here it is. We are here with some loyal listeners from Australia. And last month we heard from Al and Sue. They were very kind to drive down and and visit us. And today we actually have another set of listeners from Australia. It's unbelievable to us. We make these podcasts and 
you never know who's listening. Or and, if anybody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys do the downloads but and send us an email sometimes. But Catherine and Andrew actually sent us an email when they heard that we were coming to Australia. And they said, we got to see you. And they have taken the time to drive down today to uh, be on our podcast. And so we're very honored to have them here today. And, you know, this is what makes the world so much smaller is is that when australia is so far away and we just think you know what goes on there is no no real concern to us but the cool thing is 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 that when you meet people you know it's where we have friends and so it brings the world it's so much is closer together and we have so much in common and the podcast yes and there's so much in common and the podcast has just uh, done this for us we've uh now met several of our listeners through the same sort of way, and it's just been a terrific experience. But we want to talk about RVing. And so maybe you could, uh, first of all, just tell us a little bit about uh, your circumstances and how you got started in RVing. Catherine and Andrew. Hi, this is Andrew, and we have a 22-foot Jayco Conquest built in Melbourne, Australia. The vehicle is a C-Class with uh, two twin beds. It is powered by a 2.8-litre Fiat 5-speed manual, although the new Jayco Conquests are now a 3-litre 6-speed manual. Uh, it is front-wheel drive, which we've had no problem with on very wet grass or any any other surface. You wouldn't know the difference. The rear wheels are singles, because front-wheel drive you don't need twin rear wheels. The vehicle is very comfortable. It is regarded here as a fairly large motorhome. Yeah, I guess the only difference is that yeah, it's, a, it's totally small compared to what Ken and Martha are used to. How did you come to buying the Jayco? Well, what happened was uh, two years ago we went to Canada in July and we hired a Mercedes Sprinter motorhome and we did uh, Vancouver to Jasper Banff, did the whole circle of the Rockies. And we were so impressed with that. When we came back, we started looking. We ended up visiting 22 different manufacturers wow. in, and yeah, dealers. In, in Queensland and New South in Wales. In Queensland and New South Wales. Went to the Winnebago factory uh, and Sunliner and all the Sun Camper, all the, all the various outlets. And as it is where we live in Coffs Harbour, which is halfway between Brisbane and Sydney, there's a major Jayco dealer. They rang us and said, we've got one that was bought by a New Zealand couple, fitted out, travelled around Australia, sold back to them. It's eight, we bought it at 18 months old. It's got solar panels. It's got an inverter. Uh, it has bike rack. It has tow bar, bull bar. It's fully kitted out um, at a huge saving because of all the extras just add up and up and up. And we've had it for one year. We've done 10,000 kilometres, uh, which is... Well, you've only had it a year. Yes. Uh-huh. And it suits us. Um, Did you have something at, before that? We had a caravan, actually, you know, as, as in a trailer. Uh-huh. Yeah, and um, we decided that it was too hard to go and park your trailer, your caravan foot. somewhere. It was only 13 foot, and then do daisy wheels out, day trips out. We decided we were much more the style of traveller that uh, wants to go and see, do our sightseeing during the day and then pull up somewhere, you know, at a campsite. Um, it may have even only be 50 k's up the road, but at least we've done our sightseeing and we camp wherever we end up at the end of the day. Um, so that suited us much more. That's why we decided to sell the caravan or trailer, as you call them, and uh, buy the motorhome, as we call it here. <laughs> and the motorhome is much more suitable because of our 10-pound Burmese cat who loves the motorhome. 
The caravan was too small for him. In the motorhome, he sleeps in the uh, bed above the cab and can look down upon you uh, as you drive along, which is great for us because he's out of the way. Your motorhome uh, here, even though it's a Jayco, is uh, similar to the Jayco that we rented in New Zealand. It sounds, ex- it sounds exactly the same. The motorhome Ken Hyde is the was similar configuration in size, but they have what is called a New Zealand design, which is the uh, has the table down the back, which you convert into a bed. Our motorhome has a double bed down the back, which you can lift up and have storage underneath, and it has. But it's a, prop- a permanent bed. I mean, it's set up as a permanent yeah. bed. Yeah. And it has a proper inner spring mattress, which is very comfortable. Yeah. The other thing is. Uh, Ken had the Ford Transit. We had, we've got the Fiat. The Fiat's the biggest seller. Uh, eight manufacturers in Australia use the Fiat chassis uh, as their base model for building motorhomes. Which here. apparently suits our roads, etc. I mean, even though a Fiat comes from Europe, where the roads are much better and kind of, you know, all that sort of thing, much smoother than ours. For some reason, the uh, Fiat chassis is the, is the po- most popular chassis here in Australia. But in our uh, circumnavigation of Australia and our cruise, uh, we found the roads in Australia to be pretty good. Well, that's because you've, felt, you've probably just travelled on the highways. Um, if you go to any back road, you know, even just a slight diversion off the highway and you're into some pretty appalling roads, if, if there is a, it even is a road. I mean, sometimes it's just dirt and potholes, etc. So, um, yeah, I guess yeah, the, the roads can be pretty rough, can't they? There is actually now, I think there's blacktop right the whole way around Australia, I believe. Now. Highway right? 1, right? Highway. Yeah, that's it, yeah. It's pretty much, except for a little tiny bit, I think it's somewhere between Cairns and... There's yes, a... about, f- like, 400 <coughs> kilometres of dirt out that way. It's good dirt. But you, but you... No, I've heard, people, I've heard people say they would never go on that road again. I don't know if Al's been on it. Uh, you were saying that the caravans uh, coming from Europe just don't work very well in Australia because of the roads. Yeah. yeah. So that you have many, many more opportunities to camp in the outback or a camp? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the, the caravans or the, the RVs that come from Europe usually have to be toughened up for our road conditions because they get yeah. shaken to bits, that's all, you know, because it's very uh-huh. bumpy. Yeah. European caravans that are brought out uh, are very light because they can be towed by a two-litre uh, VW Golf, oh. whereas here we have much heavier caravans which would weigh two oh. tonnes. And uh, generally, every every uh, imported vehicle has to be re-strengthened as far as their springs, their shock absorbers, wheels, and the chassis. Uh, the German vehicles have to have the chassis still increased by fifty percent to cope. Fifty percent. Wow. Yes, to cope with our roads. Yeah. Um, whereas the Australian manufacturers design into this when they bring in these bring in the basic chassis. Now, given that your country and our country are similar in size, I was expecting to see a lot more camping vehicles that were similar in size to what I see at home. But what I'm seeing is so many uh, European-sized style ones. What do you think accounts for that? One is the uh, cost of the vehicles. The big, the bigger vehicles, the A-class ones here, are generally um, new, are $650,000 and up for the top-of-the-line ones. Um, it's the... Basically, the cost of fuel and the, sh- and the very long distances like you have in the US of A. Um, but people here, I think, are used to smaller vehicles because our general cars people drive are smaller than the vehicles you drive, and they're just used to um, smaller. And also, in the, some of the cities and the suburbs, 
there's not much room um, in the older suburbs in Sydney, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, parking can be a real issue mm-hmm. for the bigger vehicles. Yeah, and then there's also our campgrounds. I mean, if you're if you're a person that likes to camp in a holiday park, they just don't have the space to accommodate the larger rigs. In, mm-hmm. in a lot of them, like fifth wheelers, um, you know, sometimes you know they just can't fit you in. So. That's, yeah, that, that limits where you can actually stop and pull up. It and just camp. seems like it would be so much more suitable for if, for these long distances if you had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you wanted to stick to the highways, but we yeah. like to get out on the back roads and see what's you know a bit beyond and over the ranges and things. So. Yeah. So it's common to free camp in the outback. Would I yeah, have the yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yep, yep. Free camping all over. I mean, there's a there's a book and there's also you can just pull up pretty much. And in a lot of places. I mean, obviously, any built-up areas, no, you can't. Yep. And apparently on the Gold Coast in Queensland, you, they will fine you if you are in your vehicle longer than two hours. So there's absolutely no no free yep. camping. But, if, How, but in a lot of towns, um, a lot of the towns actually welcome free camping because they, they encourage it. They, they designate special parks that are free camps with water and facilities. Um, for use because they want the they want the uh, patronage they want the money yeah. they want they realise that any traveller is going to spend money even if it's just a loaf of bread and, and a litre of milk. A, a lot of towns are now designated RV friendly. The CMCA, uh, which is the Motorhome Club of Australia, uh, has been working on with local councils and a lot of towns to become RV friendly to encourage people to come into the towns. And uh, it's, it's in, and putting in dump points because we don't have that many dump points. Mm-hmm. A critical factor <laughs> as you travel, especially with a cassette. Yes, indeed. Yeah. We've learned about the uh, about cassettes. The cassettes. Yes. And of course, that's something that's totally alien, alien to us. To us. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we've we've spoke about that. Uh, now, given given that you have camped in Canada, I, I think you have a perspective that our listeners would appreciate. And we wish we would have known to ask you before we came. We really debated whether to hire an RV in Australia and try to see um, your country in the camping manner rather than on a cruise ship. So what advice would you give our American listeners about coming to Australia and hiring a camper and seeing your country in that way? You need a lot of time if you're going to travel Australia. There are vast differences. I mean, basically, we are a small country with enormous distances in between each That's town. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. analogy of putting, uh, yeah. to describe Australia, because we're a population of 22 million. Yes, and, twen- um, well, we're actually a large country with a small population. Yeah, that's it. And Great distances. Yeah, yeah. The distance between Sydney and Brisbane is a thousand kilometres. And we don't necessarily miles. have a lot of sites in between, you know, to to see special, you know, sites. But as far as um, a, you know, a country to see, yeah, there's there's lots and lots to see, lots of very varied sites to see. Yep. But yeah, huge distances in between. So time would be the biggest factor. And the big uh, motor home rental companies here, which are Apollo and Kia, they have... Oh, no, Maui? Uh, Maui, which is owned by uh, one of them. Not so much, I don't think, Maui. Kia. Kia, Apollo. Apollo. Uh, Maui. They, they have centres and... Uh, well, they have depots in every major centre. And then we have the little, um, those little, what do you call those bubble things? Space bubbles or whatever they are. No, spaceships, the space little, little tiny ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have the or the little wicked, or we have something called wicked, wicked, oh, wicked yeah, campers. You've seen those, yeah. Yeah, they're all painted up, and they're for the backpackers, really. Uh-huh. And the, you know, and they squeeze four people in there somehow or other. And you've got the kitchen that swings out the back, and yeah, yeah good and if you weigh fifty a little, kilos. <laughs> a little bit of a death trap, I would imagine. They don't look particularly safe. I think they're just really old converted vans, aren't they? 
and long wheelbase or short wheelbase, some of them. So little short vans. So the bottom line is, is we had a great time in New Zealand, and I think we saw most of the country. But Australia in a month would be virtually impossible. Impossible. You'd have to select a, an area that you wanted to see, mm-hmm. such as uh, down south in Victoria, the Great mm-hmm. Ocean Road. You know, there's, that's a fairly compact area where you can see a lot of diversified, uh, you know, countryside of Australia. Um, and you're going to spend days yeah. driving in between yeah. places, yeah. Which, which you do in the United States, but as you say, there's there's not a lot in between. It would be like trying to drive around the whole of the United States in one month, which would yeah. be physically impossible. Yeah, and yeah. not any fun at all. No, no fun. And make sure right. you get your, your RV has unlimited kilometres with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they're not charging you. Or the other way I'd recommend is to go one way. So you say you get off in Sydney, hire a motorhome to drop off in, say, uh, Adelaide. So you could go down to Victoria see the Great Ocean Road, see the Barossa Valley and the wine areas and drop the vehicle off in, say, Adelaide. Yeah, there's that one way, or Sydney, Cairns. Go Sydney up north to Cairns. Yes, uh, I think the most popular trip would be from Sydney... Uh, north. Yes, yes, because the countryside changes so dramatically, you know, from uh-huh. Sydney. You drove seven hours to get here. That's how... right. That's in the motorhome. I mean, normally it takes us, yeah. Well, but that's... that's yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, and that was in... And you... That's because there's a lot of roadworks, uh-huh. and we had quite a bit of rain, so there was a bit of slippage on the roads, etc. So what would that normally take in a um, motorhome? Well, we'd probably six, six and a half. Yeah, and then how, that's only to Coffs Harbour. Okay, and then and that's only halfway to Brisbane. Yeah, and so halfway and then, to then, Brisbane. Then to get to, from Coffs Harbour to Brisbane, it's probably another five hours, five and a half hours. Wow. Yeah, and then and then you're only at Brisbane, and then Brisbane to Cairns is at least the same distance again. It's at least twelve hours up to Cairns, at least. Yeah. So for those folks who might be thinking about driving from Sydney to Cairns, it would be a yeah. few days to get there. Yes, and yes, you would yes. have. Brisbane on the way yes. to see, but not much else. Yes. Well, seven, da- seven days at least minimum to do that trip. I mean, there is plenty to see, lots of beaches and gorges and all sorts of things to see, but, I mean, that's going to slow you down even more. You can make the trip as long as you like. Or... So another optional itinerary would be to head south from Sydney yep. and go to the Great Ocean Road. That's right, yes. And yes. what's that like? The Great Ocean Road is spectacular. There's um, what they call the Twelve Apostles down there, which is these giant rocks that are actually in the in the ocean and uh, very pretty views and a beautiful road, beautiful kind of sweeping, curving road. and lo- It's scenery. It's very scenic. Yeah, And lots of walks if you like walking. And Could you compare it to something in the United States? <gasps> yes, Carmel, the, um, uh-huh. that area out- yeah. outside of San Francisco. It's similar, um, spectacular uh, Ocean scenery. Good seafood, if you like seafood. Yes. Um, big surf, if and anyone likes swimming. We spent a week down that way, didn't we? Yeah. You could do a trip, say, from Sydney down to Adelaide, which would be going down through New South Wales, down south, down via the Great Ocean Road, in three weeks fairly comfortably. Yes, and that would allow you to also see the wineries on the way and uh, other areas, a little bit inland. It's very, very pretty. It's uh, a bit like the Napa Valley down there. So the bottom line is we would see a very small part of Australia yeah. and we're talking about three weeks yes, whereas yes. we spent a month yes. in New Zealand and we pretty much saw the whole country. Yes, that's so right. So this just reinforces Yeah, we understand the, the comparison because we've also travelled New Zealand and you can see New Zealand in as you say about a month, mm-hmm. five weeks mm-hmm. and you see a lot. pretty much the whole lot. Yeah. Okay, so you've given our, our listeners some, uh, some good tips here. Are there other things that they should know? Uh, differences that you found? 
Tasmania is another option. Tasmania is very is rather like New Zealand, but even more compact. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do Tasmania in one week, which we did once many many years ago in a car, staying in in uh, pubs. But I'd recommend uh, at least three weeks in in Tasmania to see it properly. It's only tiny, but it is beautiful, and there is yes. so much to see and do down beautiful. there. Yes, uh, scenic uh, alpine type country cross between New Zealand, Canada, Alaska and bits of Switzerland thrown in for good measure. It's a it's quite amazing and very small. Yeah, and then again another trip you could do would be in Northern Territory which you guys have been to Darwin and travel out mm-hmm. to the national parks and Litchfield National Park and Kakadu and um yeah, one of the things that amazed me was that they told us that uh, Western Australia, which is a state here, is three times larger than Alaska. It probably so is. So one state yeah. here in Australia yeah. oh, is Western three Australia times bigger than huge. our largest state. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's just a huge amount of territory to cover. Yeah. And I think that's uh, very critical as you're planning an itinerary. Yes, to, yes. To, Western to, Australia to, in particular. To be very, very clear about that. Western Australia in particular is, is um, huge. A, yeah, huge, great long distances. And even fuel is a bit of an issue over there, we believe. We haven't travelled that yet, but few, the fuel stops are far and few between. So you need to be prepared with fuel as well. That's another consideration if you are going to travel in the outback. That's what they said, yeah. Stops. You can go 150, yeah. 200 kilometres without fuel. And that's why we have a, a, our vehicles are diesel uh, vehicles because um, you can't buy petrol or gasoline in in the outback. You can so buy it's diesel? All, it's diesel, yeah, you can buy diesel. But not? For the yeah. road trains. Yeah, it's all diesel. A lot of the pump stops are just diesel. Which, of course, would mean an American vehicle would be perfect because we go 1,200 miles on a tank. Yeah. So (laughs) that would be, we'd be in good shape here. Well, it's very interesting about Tasmania. And, of course, we want to remind our listeners that Tasmania is a separate island, so you have to fly. You can't drive there. Or take a ferry. Or take a ferry, right. But uh, it's uh, an entirely different uh, place. So uh, where else have you RV'd and where else do you travel when you're? Uh, doing your vacations? Well, as far as RVing, we've only RVed in Canada, which was a fantastic experience, Um, and obviously RVed in in Australia. Um, But uh, the other places we've travelled is, like, all the South Pacific islands. We've been to a lot of the islands in um, the South Pacific, and also Asia is very close for us, so we travel there regularly. We found it, you know, quite inexpensive, but now, of course, travelling Australia is a lot cheaper over the years, the, fl- the flights become cheaper. Sometimes Asia can be quite uh, politically dangerous to travel in, and the airfares go up and down. And because um, Singapore, for instance, is very close to us, and a lot of people go for the weekend <coughs> to go shopping in Singapore. Wow. Oh yes. Yeah, and Hong Kong too. They go Hong Kong, Kong on shopping holidays for the weekend or, the, or but a week. Equally, you, you can buy all the same kind of items here now. Um, we've got a pretty big Chinese population in the main cities. You know, as everything in Australia seems to be made in China, <laughs> it's all here anyway. In the world. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, the other things we, we have done is we, we've uh, done a, a rail first class through mm. uh, northern Europe from Germany to Finland, uh, Sweden and Norway and the cruise out of, out of Bergen in Norway to the north, which is fantastic. But uh, take your money when you go to those 
northern countries. I think we found uh, the prices here in Australia to be quite reasonable. Yeah. It's certainly very comparable to the yeah, United States. Yeah, yeah. And what did you pay to rent your RV while you were in the United States? Um, it was around about $300 Australian per day. Mm-hmm. So, And ours was about 200 US. So about comparable. So very, very, yeah, comparable. very comparable. And of course, this is what kind of stops us from spending more time in Australia in an RV is, is that the per day expense just gets yes. so high that yes. we can't afford to do it when there's such long distances to travel. And the fuel. Is, well, are the there, fuel, are there, the well, fuel that I think you fuel, would though, that, I mean, The we're fuel's used, comparable too. I mean, the fuel yeah. for us now. And we're used to that. I yeah. mean, you know, we get uh, very bad mileage and so we're used to getting <laughs> high bills. <laughs> well, it's not uncommon for us to go to the petrol station f- and spend five or six hundred dollars. Yeah. 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 So I mean, you know, that doesn't bother us. But are are there some things that we could do to offset the cost? There is a website called Standby RVs or Standby Cars or something where they where you can do relocations and people do choose to do that where you relocate an RV and they will charge you sometimes only five dollars a day and pay for your fuel if you want to go. If but that's a very um, last minute type of arrangement which we've never chosen to do. However, if you wanted to go from Sydney to say Cairns or Sydney to Darwin. And they usually give you a bit of a, a, a deadline to do it as well. So you've got to be there in a week or whatever. However, and then you can extend the, the, the rental period. So that would be one way to, if you wanted to take that risk. Or you get, I mean, obviously it's on the website, so you can do it from the United States. The other way is the uh, go to one of the uh, big clubs like the CMCA magazine, The Wanderer, and put an ad in saying you want to do a motorhome swap. Uh, people do that... Um, like home swap. Yeah, yes, uh, like a home swap. Mm-hmm. And people uh, say, well, we want to be in Australia. Can we take your motorhome? You come to the United States, take our motorhome and do a swap. Well, that certainly would be an interesting option <laughs> that we might want to look into because, I, you know, we, we would like to do it but, yeah. uh, and we'd like to see much more of Australia, but the it prices. is daunting. It's mm. not the time. No, even. no, it's no. The, yes. It's the expense of yes. the, of the traveling. Yes. And so we haven't quite uh, got a handle on that so far. Okay, well, this has been a, a real pleasure meeting you and uh, having you on the podcast, and I hope that you, uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed the uh, the different perspective they're getting from uh, uh, folks from halfway around the world, where it's tomorrow, today. <laughs> <laughs> Or something like that. Anyway, we still have a hard time wrapping our ourselves uh, around that. But this is our last day in Australia, and it's a wonderful way to, you know, wonderful way to end it up, spending it with three Australians and uh, and seeing their city from their perspective. So we very much appreciate uh, your taking the time to come and visit us. Well, or we coming and visiting you, or yeah, well. <laughs> in our hotel. We thank you for helping us to make it happen. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so after listening to them, who knows? We might be talking to you next. So keep in touch, listeners, because uh, we always enjoy these fascinating interviews with people from around the world. But you know, Catherine brought up a very interesting topic, which I think American RVers uh, haven't really thought about very much. Well, we kind of did yeah. when we were deciding whether to buy a motorhome or an, a trailer. And well, the advantages and disadvantages of each. But I haven't really thought about this in a in a coherent way, and that's the idea of daisy wheeling, which is something that we just take for granted because that's the way we we RV. Which means that you come back to the center of the daisy, which is your campground, 
every night yes. and then drive out again to a new site the next day. Whereas her approach was more carrying on. Staying and in then a stopping, in campground for just one night. And carrying then, on and then stopping. And, and her point being that it's inefficient to drive back to where you started from. One thing that I thought that I didn't say on the phone when we spoke to them last night was that perhaps in our country there are more things to see in an area right. and we're in Australia driving on makes sense because you've exhausted that area within the day really well or you see you have to see you, you want to keep going on uh, keep moving forward whereas we kind of go to an area and then drive 50 and make 60 it a home miles, base make it a home base they of course chose the class C that they have primarily for that reason and I wonder if class C people think about that and do that in the United States it's our impression that most people don't and certainly for us with either of the rigs we've owned it's not that fun to drive to sites and attractions with all of that equipment well that's why they're saying what what their smaller rig and it's more practical it's for more them. practical to do that right. and i think that uh, another thing is is campground reservations too um many times in the summer you have to have reservations or else you're not going to be and certainly on the weekends and so her their their approach is just to kind of wing it and drive down the road and and park wherever they can to spend and maybe the night. that's more practical there because there aren't so darn many people in and Australia not so many rvers as there are here well, in, but in New Zealand, um, we found that many of the campgrounds did not really get uh, full until after 7 o'clock at night, and so people were coming back. But, I, but it's interesting that I think in New Zealand that we 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 did the daisy wheel, wheel thing because we made reservations and stayed in campgrounds two or three nights. Sometimes, but sometimes, sometimes. we drove on, and it was very practical to drive on. Yes. And certainly the places where we stayed the longest were because we had numerous sites and activities to do there, and we didn't want to move on. Yeah, but should we have moved on and just camped any old place? We, we could have. Like in Queensland, we could have. Queenstown. Queenstown, we could have spent four nights. We spent four nights in the very same campground. Hmm, I don't know. That's an interesting idea. And so maybe some of our listeners could uh, fill us in on their philosophies about uh, this approach to camping. When is it time to move on? When is it time to move on? Ooh, might be the title of the podcast. And does the rig that you have have an effect on that? The kind of rig. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly a travel trailer is much more difficult to, to have that happen with. In our motorhome, it's, it's fairly difficult because you can't go to the sites in a fairly large vehicle. Well, you can't count on finding sufficient parking there. Yeah. So yes. we've occasionally we've taken our motorhome, but often to places that we had already scouted out ahead of time, <laughs> which kind of ruins the effect of what she's recommending that you do. Yes. Certainly you use a lot less gasoline with her approach. Yes. Well, we certainly appreciate her bringing this topic up as well as uh, telling us about their RVing experiences. Now, since um, they have done such a kind job of looking us up in our travels, we should at least give a hint about where we're headed next in right. case somebody else wants to meet us at a campground near them. <laughs> Um, our next adventure will be a unique one as well, not because of where we're going, but because of who we're going with. That's um, we have a, an old friend, and I'm talking old in terms of his age and the number of years we've been friends, uh, from Munich, who has always wanted to do a tour of the national parks. So he's flying into Phoenix, and we're going to meet him there and do as much national parking as we can for the three weeks that he has time to stay in the United States. And we will send him home after we've been to Yellowstone from Salt Lake City. Gee, we're going to have somebody else to interview? This well, that, that's why I'm sending out hints because uh, it's been great fun to meet our listeners, even though it always is slightly disorienting to speak with people who know everything about you and you know nothing about them. 
So this will be uh, an interesting experience. Somebody who has not RV'd before, uh, a European, of course, and somebody who's basically not an English speaker. So we will have uh, an, an interesting set of questions for him, and uh, his perceptions of RVing in the U.S. will be of quite of interest. Uh, I'm not sure that will be on the next podcast because we will have just picked him up when we are preparing the next podcast. But uh, certainly we will be on that trip, and at some point we will do an interview with him. Or maybe he'll hate it and we won't put his interview up at all. (laughs) So, dear listeners, we will uh, turn it over to next month and uh, hope to hear from you. And you will be hearing from us at the beginning of June as we do our regular podcast. But for now, we hope to see you at a campground near us and maybe have an interview, too. Talk to you later. This is Ken, your RV navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot, saying happy travels.